Welcome to Anti-Aging Insights, where age is a state of mind and aging is a treatable condition. And now, here is your host, Dr. Terry Fisher. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode. This is a very special episode because I have an absolute master of a guest and I choose that word very specifically. Dr. Tim Pierce from the UK is truly a master when it comes to aesthetics and teaching. He has one of the most uh, prominent social media profiles and he is always putting out absolutely incredible resources for uh, clinicians to learn and also for patients to learn at the highest level what really goes into incredible aesthetic treatments. So before we hear from Dr. Tim Pierce, I want to just give you a little bit of his bio and I could go on for ages truly about Dr. Pierce, but I'll say this. He is the co-founder and director of Skin Viva, which is one of the UK's top aesthetic clinics. He also runs Skin Viva training as well as the Dr. Tim e-learning modules and packages and curriculums. His mission is this, and this is a quote from his website. I believe that there are five domains of mastery and my life's work is to deeply understand and teach clinicians how to continuously seek and achieve mastery of each domain. My work aims to integrate psychology, anatomy, aesthetic rules, injection technique, and complications into the patient journey at the highest possible level. Ultimately, all these domains serve to protect and enhance the well-being of patients. Tim has performed over 25,000 cosmetic procedures, and he is just an incredible guy. He is a thoughtful guy, and he really cares about the psychology of patients. And you're going to hear about that in this podcast episode. We talk about what makes up a great consultation, and it might be a little bit more than what you think when you first think of an aesthetic consultation. Anyway, I'm going to stop talking. I want to bring Tim on here. I want you to meet him, and I want you to hear from Dr. Tim Pierce. So without any further ado, let's get to the interview. Dr. Tim Pierce, welcome to the Anti-Aging Insights Podcast. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thanks so much for joining me and the listeners today. Thank you very much, Dr. Terry. It's great to meet you too. Thank you for the invitation. Well, I'm excited to talk to you because as a lot of my listeners will know, I am all about education and you are a master when it comes to educating people around aesthetics and non-surgical cosmetics. So I'm thrilled to talk to you and we're going to get into a whole conversation about consultations and the importance of a good consultation from the patient's perspective as well. Before we do that, I'd love for you to take a moment or two and introduce yourself to the audience. So my name is Dr. Tim Pierce. I reside in the south of Manchester in the UK. My clinic is in the center of Manchester and I have a training school. I've been practicing medical aesthetics for about 15, 16 years, training other clinicians for about nine or 10 years. And yeah, what you've asked me to talk about is my favorite topic. And just like you, I'm a family doctor that we call ourselves general practitioners in the UK. And for me, there's a strong link between that model of patient care and then how I've applied that to medical aesthetics that should I think help a lot of patients realize what a good consultation should feel like because it's not just about the physical appearance or the risk. It's all about the other stuff that drives the behavior. So I'm sure we're going to touch on all of that. So let's get into it because I find that fascinating as well. Let's talk about what makes a good consultation and how does that contribute to a really good patient experience from your perspective? Yeah, so I, I think it's the most important thing that we do in medical aesthetics is the talking bit before we start. Now, I know if you're the same as we are in the UK as a family doctor, that you understand that intuitively. 
but I don't think it's common in medical aesthetics. I think it's very much more led by either appearance or anatomy or the physical causes. And the story behind is often overlooked. And I actually went to consultation training with a very famous clinician once. And I started asking the patient questions and he interrupted me and said, no, no, don't worry about that. Just tell them what's wrong with their face. <laughs> and, and that was when I realized that I was doing something different, but not just that, but it actually worked. Like my patients loved it. And I also had a very good average spend. I've worked in my clinic with up to eight different clinicians and my average appointment value was always at the top with high satisfaction. Huh. Obviously you don't want one without the other. And I came to realize that the heart of what I was doing, the patients really valued was in the conversation. And it's really about human motivation. I often say, you know, no one really wants lip filler. No one wants Botox. They want the feelings and the stories they think they're going to get from having those procedures. And when you articulate that, it's actually a therapeutic process in itself because most patients, when they first attend, they actually don't actually know why they're there. And they often have riddled with conflict because they think maybe I'm self-obsessed or I'm vain or I'm stupid for wanting this. And what if my people will think I'm a different person who doesn't care about other people, only care about myself. There are all these kind of things that go on in people's minds that slow them down from actually just freeing themselves from something that's causing a bit of friction. And in the consultation, you can often unpack that, free them of it, and put them on the front foot, both physically and emotionally, as they have the procedure, because they finally understand that really what they want is to connect more freely with others, because I think that's actually the heart of it. I saw my friend and colleague, Dr. Felix Bartram, explaining he works in Switzerland, huge clinic, and he was saying all businesses separated into health, wealth, and relationships, and medical aesthetics is the business of relationships. I think that's a really good way of starting out that we're actually trying to put people on the front foot so that they can build relationships and connections. And it happens to be that we use the medium of their appearance and we adjust that, but that's really what we're trying to do. That's really, really interesting. How do you approach that then? Practically, what would that look like in a consultation if you really want to unpack the reasons, the motivation for a person being in your chair, in your clinic? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, that's a very good point because it is awkward because most clinicians expect to say, you know, what can I do for you today? I'd like Botox. Okay. Uh, make sure that it's safe to give it to them. And then you give them the Botox if they have some wrinkles. So to switch that around and say, I'm actually not interested in the fact that you want Botox. I want to know why you want Botox, <laughs> which is, it can be an awkward way of phrasing it. So a good law of human motivation is also reciprocity or an exchange, you need to realize, they need to realize quite quickly that there is value in them sharing something that's quite intimate and quite scary. So what I'll normally start my consultation with is something along the lines of, is firstly frame the game. What's the goal of this consultation? Now you may have been to lots of other clinics, but for me, the goal is I wanna put you on the front foot in your life and I wanna help you achieve the things that you want to achieve when we can remove the obstacles, which are often uh, the appearance. So. I don't say it quite like that, but it's more <laughs> essentially, we want to make your life better, not just your face better. And I'm not an expert on your life. I'm an expert on faces. I understand the anatomy, I understand beauty, but I need to understand what treatments are going to enhance you, your life, your confidence in such a way that you get real deep benefit from it. So that reframes the game. And now that they know that I'm not just aiming to sell them as much product as possible, I can say, or just to do what they're asking, which is the other model. I can then say, would you tell me a little bit about what's led you up to making this appointment? And then they'll start their story. Now, the really interesting thing about this, and you'll know this as well as a family doctor, is that most patients cannot wait to tell you the story. It's the main thing they want to talk about, even when you don't need to know about it. You know, it's the classic, 
I always remember a patient in my GP practice. I was like, so when did the pain start? And he was like, I was on a train to Birmingham. No, it wasn't Birmingham. Yes, I was on yeah. to Leeds. And I was eating a satsuma. No, it wasn't a satsuma. And you're like, I don't need to know all this stuff. But they really want to tell you <laughs> the details because that's their story. Now, yep. in medical aesthetics, that stuff matters a lot more because when they say, I was looking in the mirror and I saw my mum, for example, instead of myself, or I saw myself looking sad when I was feeling happy. And then I felt sad the rest of the day. Like that stuff's actually the stuff we're trying to cure. Like, I don't really care about the satsuma and the train, but I do care about you feeling sad when you want to feel neutral or happy. And that's how I design my treatment plans because it's around changing your story, not just making sure that you're not having an MI or whatever we do in the other parts of the medicine. So yeah, so I need to get them to tell me the story to make sense of the treatment plan that we eventually arrive at. And patients love to tell you when it feels appropriate. If it feels forced, they will feel restrictive, but you'll notice this as well, that often you don't get the story and then they lay down on the bed ready for the procedure and then they just start talking and they tell you the story. It happens all, quite often in the early stages of noticing this, you'll realize that you didn't get it out because they felt for some reason not able to share initially and then it all comes out by accident when they relax. That makes perfect sense. It's all about getting down to the why, really, the motivation, the why. And I think that's absolutely critical. I understand you have an interesting story that relates this, something that you experienced early on in your aesthetic career that you shared with me a little bit before. Perhaps you can share it with the audience as well. Yeah, so it was actually my second or third patient. And when she booked in, I, we were told by the receptionist that she was 92. And I remember immediately thinking, how am I going to get out of this? Because in those days, the three patients in, I thought my job was to make people look younger. And I knew but she'd already mentioned Botox on the phone. I was not going to make anyone look younger at that age with two areas of Botox. So sure, I was sure. actually planning on basically getting rid of my first patient because I didn't want to treat someone who wasn't going to get benefit. Um, but she told me this beautiful story of because she was older and wise, she knew why she was really there. She didn't. And I think this is also true. You'll find this harder to get the story out of younger patients, but older patients often know that her driver was that she wanted to connect with people better on the bus. So she was using public transport and she felt like she looked like she was frowning, which made her unapproachable to others, which meant she didn't have the confidence to talk to others. And she felt like fewer people would have talked to her. And for me, that was a real epiphany of like, ah, oh, right. This whole thing that we're doing is not about how you look, but just that it's about the ability to connect with others. And which is why that's been a grounding story for me ever since, which is we help people to connect with others. And that there's so many ways that can be, because it's both internal and external, if you think about it, there's an objective component and there's a subjective component. Some people would have talked to her on the bus even with a frown, but she didn't feel like she could talk to people with her current frown. And she could have probably done either. So there's an objective and subjective component we need to take into account, but it's really all about human connection. And if you can get to the bottom of how people can connect better, whether it be going on Tinder, you know, applying for a new job or just being more present in Zoom meetings, all these things facilitate patients live fuller lives, which is what it's all about. Right. With this 92-year-old patient, I don't know if you can remember this, if this was quite a while ago, but do you remember if she volunteered that information or if that was part of the consultation and the questions that you were asking that then allowed her to share that? Honestly, I very much doubt I can take credit for getting that story out because at the time I had a different model in my head. Um, but I think she, she, as I said Patients want to tell you their story. So if you give them a right. chance to talk, or if they are naturally talkative and verbal, they tend to get to the, that point. Whether you're listening for it is a different question, because a lot of people, they don't really care about that stuff. They're too busy focused on whether the anatomy of the corrugator muscle and how not to cause a toastus. 
But mm -hmm. so she wanted to tell me her reasoning. And I think most patients, when they relax, they will tell you their story and their reasoning. And she came out with that, which is, I want to talk to people on the bus, which really helped me understand. Really, really interesting. What if a patient is hearing this, this conversation that we're having right now, and I think, wow, this makes a lot of sense. And I'd love to have a, a provider that listens to me. Do you have any practical tips of how can they find someone like that when they're Googling somebody to give me my Botox or that sort of thing? How would a patient go about from their perspective, finding somebody like that? Well, a big part of it is, I think it's easier than ever because of social media. If someone is good at putting their true self, and we also help people produce their social media, and it's actually quite hard for people, for clinicians to put themselves out there. They tend to copy the cardboard cutout of clinicians at first. You know, there's a lot of white coats and stock type images, you know, photo shoot, some claim that it looks very professional, but it actually doesn't connect very well with patients. If you can create, I mean, basically exactly what you're doing now is fantastic because I can tell all sorts of things about your value system and what you care about just by the topic of this podcast. So if a patient was to hear that, they will know what to expect from you in a consultation. So what I would be looking for as a patient is evidence of this sort of thing. Now, if it's not in their social media, because some people just don't like video and recordings and stuff, look in the reviews because reviews often have several components you can pull out of them. You can look for signs of competence. So it was a procedure that was difficult and no one else could do it, but this doctor did it and he did a great job. Competence, emotional trust. The doctor really cared about my story. They had time to listen to me. That's what we're talking about at this stage is one signal of this. Um, and the other one's integrity. No, this doctor, I came in asking for one thing. He could have taken my money, but instead he advised me to do something totally different, which was cheaper or free or a better procedure. So those are the three elements of trust. And you can find that often in reviews. If you read them carefully, you can't just look at the stars and say, there's five stars. You need to actually read each one and check if they're genuine and look for those components. Fantastic. So another part of the consultation, which is important. I know you speak about this a lot in terms of training other healthcare providers is talking about some of the risks and complications that a lot of physicians will feel can be an awkward conversation with a patient. How do you approach that? What are your tips and how do you approach that kind of conversation with a patient? Yeah. So first of all, it's worth paying attention to your own emotions around this. If it feels awkward for you to say it, you probably have some uncertainty in your mind about some elements of it. So you're not fully in control of it until you can tell anyone any aspects of it and not mind them hearing it. So, and this is very common for new clinicians. When you first start, you do a really bad description of what can happen and you don't give any reassurance. It's actually quite funny when you know it's coming, which is a trainee will just list off this long list of awful things and then look at the patient and say, would you like the procedure? And the patient's like, <laughs> not really, no. <laughs> and that's partly because there's no context and there's no scale. So. If I say you might go blind from this procedure, do you want to have the procedure? It's not exactly a motivating statement. So you need context. So what are the numbers? How many might go blind? It's, you know, it's probably one in a million. And that there are many different factors that influence that risk. And if you start to then paint that picture of how does this compare, for example, I often use the example of a serious car accident, which is it's approximately similar mm -hmm. risk of a very serious car accident in your life as there is of a vascular occlusion. So it's this combination of telling them the facts while also giving them context and proportionality that also ends up positioning you as an expert in their mind, which is also what they want. So if I say there's a risk of non-surgical rhinoplasty causing blindness and leave you hanging, that's very different to saying, and now I'm gonna teach you about how I reduce that risk. And you do this with patients who are very concerned. There's a proportionate 
number of patients who don't care. They're like, okay, but I'm sure it won't be that much. And you have to tell me anyway. So then you'd say, but these are the things I do. Firstly, small quantities. I can check the refill before every injection. I use a dissolvable product. I would never inject more than 0.085 mils in one injection, for example, because that's the size of the supertrochlear artery and the connection to the back of your eye. So a lot of clinicians look shifty or unconfident at the point where they're telling them about risks that actually scare the clinician. And that's because they haven't thought through, how do I reduce the risk? What happens if it does happen? Am I prepared? Have I taken enough sufficient risk that I don't feel like it's risky when I'm doing it? All those sort of things then show up in your body language. So my big tip is like, you have to understand complications, teach them, and then a lot of that goes away and patients are not afraid by hearing the truth. I think that makes a lot of sense. I would think that patients appreciate that when they can sense that confidence, like you're saying, and then when they are, when they're truly informed and then they can give that informed consent, which is also a big part of it. Yeah. They feel in control. And if you're the one who made them feel in control, then they also know who to trust. And that's really a big part of success in your clinic. Perfect. Let me ask you one other question here before I let you go. And that has to do with once a patient has had a treatment and they've gone home and now they are focused on what was done. And sometimes they may notice an asymmetry, which was there before, or these sorts of things. How do you speak to a patient about what to expect after the treatment and the way that they can monitor things? So result-wise, it's probably the hardest thing because you're getting an image that's in their head in alignment with an image which is in your head. And we're using, you know, vibrating meat flaps to get that through in a special code. Like it's really, it's really quite hard. Right. If you think about how complex that is. So I, I use a lot of uncertain language, like relative improvements. We'll be moving towards this. And then I will do my best not to use words, but to use visual descriptions. So if I can show them, like noses are good for this. Like if I'll get on the other side of the patient and I'll show them, if I push on your nose here, that's roughly what I can do in terms of straightening it. But you'll okay. notice that the tip isn't lifted. So I try and show them as much as possible. And then even with that, there'll be caveats of, you know, this is a simulation. It may not be exactly this. And you get them to sign up to the uncertainty. So I would say, given that I anticipate this, but I don't know for sure it'll be this way, would it still be worth your while having the procedure with this good intent, knowing that there's some uncertainty? And basically all patients will say yes to that. It's more about getting them to acknowledge there's uncertainty. The degree of which is actually less, because often I'm actually pretty damn confident I'm going to get the result I'm expecting, but I want them to sign up to uncertainty because that makes interpreting things they're less absolute because we all like to imagine that the game is rigged in our favor. I learned this when I started to employ staff as they'll assume this should be in a way that favors me. And every staff member has a different point of view and they all kind of have a different approach. So it felt, it feels like that with patients too. They assume if they're paying the money with a good clinic, they're going to get exactly what they want. And you actually want to break that belief pattern, even if you do give them exactly what they want, because it's better to go in with uncertainty. The better you get at your marketing and the more trust you build in your marketing, the higher the expectations. So what I would, I actually consciously do now is level those expectations by, by just breaking down and saying, look, you know, I may have loads of Instagram followers, but I don't, I can't control tissue like God. Like it's still, there's an element of this that is not in my control. I will do my best. Is it still worth it to you having that procedure? So the same principle, sign up to a degree of uncertainty with the result. Even if you expect to deliver that result, it's better they go into it in that frame of mind. Or they go away and think about it, which is possible as well. But it's actually quite rare that people do that. Very good. Well, I appreciate all of the insight that you have shared with us. It's wonderful to be able to hear from you, who's got a ton of experience in this. And like I said off the top, I think you're a master when it comes to consultations. I really appreciate that, how you dive into the why of 
why somebody is in your chair and everything else that you cover. So I really appreciate that. And I think it's a great example for the industry. Dr. Tim, I'd love for you to share some of your resources, some of your links, some of your, you know, your Instagram handle, where can people go and learn more about you and all the great stuff that you're doing? So you can follow me on Instagram at Dr. Tim Pierce. I'm actually at Dr. Tim Pierce on all the channels, but Instagram, if you like short videos, YouTube, if you like longer videos and some short videos, I don't really do much on Twitter, so I wouldn't bother. (laughs) I'm on LinkedIn as well, but it's very similar to Instagram, I'd say. Wonderful. Well, again, I just want to thank you one more time for spending some of your time here. I know you're you're a busy guy. And like I said, I know that Part of your mission is to elevate the entire aesthetic industry. And I think you're doing a wonderful job of that. So I appreciate your time and everything you're doing. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. And I love your ethos so far. And I hope to see your podcast grow and develop and see much more of you in the future. So thank you very much, Dr. Terry. Thank you. Well, there you have it. The master, Dr. Tim Pierce. I truly hope you enjoyed that interview. So many great insights in his comments. And what I take away from this interview is... It has emphasized to me the importance of truly understanding the motivations when a patient comes to see me for any type of aesthetic treatment. So thank you, Dr. Tim Pierce, once again. Insights have been extremely valuable, and I appreciate the time. To all of you, the listeners, thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, we've got some other great guests lined up in the near future. If you have enjoyed this podcast episode, please feel free to leave a review on your favorite podcast player. It goes a long way to help this podcast be discovered by others who may benefit from hearing some of these interviews with these incredible guests. So until next time, thanks again and be well. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Anti-Aging Insights. Stay tuned to discover more of the latest news, treatments, technologies, and developments in non-surgical cosmetic and anti-aging medicine. For more inspiration, to access the show notes, or to book an appointment with Dr. Fisher, Dr. Frame, or any of the other anti-aging professionals, please visit our website at antiagingvancouver.com. Until next time, stay inspired and live life well.